bonus. Brought it to him. Hey, what is up? You are listening to the All Pacers Pod, a podcast for Pacers fans by Pacers fans. I'm Jack, your host, and I'm joined by Sal. Sal, how's it going, man? I'm fantastic. Are you feeling fantastic about the Pacers? Not so much, but it's getting there. Okay, as long as it's getting there, I think there's some hope. I mean, what is being a Pacers fan if there isn't blind hope, you know, as always? So we uh, have had a rough start to the season. Currently, the Pacers are 4-7. and seven. We're going to talk about a ton of stuff today. We're going to go through the very best player on the Pacers this year to the very worst player on the Pacers this year. We're going to rank all of them um, from the first 11 games of this season. And as we're recording this, the Pacers are actually about to tip off with the Nuggets tonight, the jokic list Nuggets. So this is going to be a little dated, but we're just going the first 11 games of the season. We're going to rank the Pacers. We're going to talk about um, our expectations for the Pacers going forward. And I mean, we're going to recap probably a ton of these games too, because I don't think we have yet this year. So Sal, I hope you're ready. I know you are always prepared with your research. Um, and if there's a more prepared Pacers fan than you right now, I'd be surprised. So I hope you're ready. I think we're, we're, we're good. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So let's, let's kind of just go through real quick, the standings where the Pacers stand. And then we're going to go through some of these games, talk about what we see from it, what we've loved, what we've hated. I know there's been a ton of moments where, I mean, I'm even thinking of the first game of the season with the Hornets, which we'll get to this, but it's, you know, the typical third quarter blowing the lead that the Pacers do or just like melting. I don't know what they do in the locker room if they're drinking sodas or smoking cigarettes or what, because they always come out flat and it's annoying. And we're going to talk about all this today. So let's just go ahead and go through the rankings as they are right now. Because Sal, before this podcast, we were talking, the Pacers right now are sitting at 12th. Which, if you looked at this a week ago, the Pacers were sitting at 15th, which is last in the East. The Pistons are 1-8, and eight, so I think we're going to be okay. The Pistons are in a league of their own with how bad they are. Yes, they are. And I would bet they're kicking themselves right now for not drafting Duarte first overall. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the Cleveland kid or the Toronto Scotty. Scotty Barnes. Yeah, Scotty Barnes. So right now, as it stands, the Pacers are 12th. A half a game ahead of the Nate McMillan-led Atlanta Hawks. So that feels good. It does feel good. And the crazy thing is, I know it is early, so maybe it's not that crazy, but the fifth seed Cleveland Cavaliers are 7-4. and four. We're three games back from the fifth seed. So it's like the season is not lost by any means. And I know I, I mentioned this at the beginning. There is hope as a Pacers fan, you know. And... I mean, maybe there isn't, but I always feel like there is. I don't know how you feel, Sal. I would assume you feel the same way because, you know, we're Pacers fans. So three games back from the Cavs. But what stands out to you about the standings right now, Sal? I I don't know. Do you have them pulled up in front of you? I do. As a NBA fan and a Pacers fan, what stands out to you from these standings? I mean, the Heat and the the Wizards specifically being the third seed is a little... uh surprising especially they didn't have Beal for the first few games I believe but um, I, I think Wes Ansel Jr. is the new coach this year I don't think they had him last year I think they signed him this summer so maybe that's significant they also got Dinwiddie um, who's been a little bit inconsistent for them but 
uh, I think we're still in shot of the playoffs. It all depends on our health and how often we keep on switching the lineups and see with all the players going in and out of the like injury list, um, it, the chemistry on the court might uh, take a bit of a drop um, with players like uh, Karras and Brogdon always uh, like entering in and out of the lineup. Yeah, no doubt. And you didn't mention it. Aaron Holiday's on the Wizards, and he started two games this year, played 10, 16 minutes per game. He's shooting 47 from three. Pretty good. How I don't many know. attempts, though? Do we uh, know? Yeah, he's attempting 1.7 a game. Not bad. I mean, not a ton. He's not getting a ton of playing time, obviously, but where was this Aaron Holiday last season when we needed him? <laughs> yeah, so the top eight right now are Heat, Bulls, Wizards, 76ers, Cavaliers, surprisingly, Nets, Knicks, Raptors. Then after that, 9 through 12, it's the Bucks, Hornets, Celtics, Pacers. So there's a lot of good teams. The East is almost stacked this year. I, I don't know how to compare it to the West. I mean, you might say the Warriors are the best team in the in the league right now. They're in the West. But the East looks really good. The Heat looks like a real title contender. The Bucks have gotten off to a slow start, but I mean, they're the reigning champions and obviously the Nets have Kevin Durant and James Harden, who's going to play himself in the shape and be better by the end of the year. The 76ers are a trade away from maybe being the best team in the East. So, I mean, there's a ton of really good teams in this conference. It's going to be hard for the Pacers to move up, you know, to one of those top spots or anything. But if we can sneak into the playoffs, that'd be awesome. And I, I really do believe there's a chance so, Sal, let's go over some of these games that the Pacers have played this year and just kind of discuss some takeaways, some things that stood out to you. I know you have a ton of notes on this. Yes, I have pages for the rankings of the players and then for the actual games themselves. I just, I've watched every game except for uh, the New York one. Okay. Pretty familiar with uh, our performances. Sweet. Well, let's start. And we're going to go through these really quick. So this is going to be good. If you haven't watched the games, it, you'll get a quick recap of what we thought was great about it. And if you did watch them, maybe you'll agree or disagree with us. It's all good. We're going to go through this quick, though, just so we can get this podcast moving. I know we're pretty far behind on game recaps. Let's begin with the Charlotte Hornets and the Pacers on October 20th. I think that was the day after opening night, right? Yes, that was... Uh the second day of the NBA season, I guess you could say that. Yeah, so walk me through this game. So uh, as we, as most Pacers fans know, we were up by like 24, it was that game, going into halftime. Um, and then I believe in the third quarter that uh, the Hornets went on a 28-4 to four run, which is obviously something that's very hard to watch. Um Pacers couldn't get anything going, and uh, Lamelo and I'm trying to think who the other player that was uh, torching us was. It might have been uh, Miles Bridges, maybe, but they were uh, just killing us. Uh, we didn't deserve to win that game after blowing that huge of a lead. Uh, we lost by one point, and it was uh, it was very uh, depressing because we did miss a game winner. And we did block, uh, we did stop a potential game winner, but then fouled on the ground, which sent them to the uh, to the line, I believe. So Gordon Hayward had 27 this game. He was the one at the end of the game. He had the ball in his hand to 
try to put this game away for the Hornets, um, which was kind of surprising to me, especially I picked LaMelo Ball as an all-star this year. And he's still playing like an all-star, but you expect you know your best player to have the ball in their hands at the end of the game, which is what we saw from Demonis Sabonis in this game. With the last second shot, they threw it into Sabonis, and I I don't know what he did. I mean, he just, it was a bad shot. It was a bad shot. So it made sense. Like, you want to get it to your best score, and it was the first game you expect a ton from Sabonis, who ended the night with 33 points and 15 rebounds. So started the season great, man. Um, missed that shot, though, and the Pacers lost, started 0-1. And as a Pacers fan, you expected to beat the Hornets, or I expected the Pacers to beat the Hornets. So that was a tough one, tough pill to swallow. But let's move on to the next game, which was the Washington. Yep, the Washington Wizards, who are one of the hotter teams in the league, and were one and zero coming into this game. Walk me through this one. Well, Miles Turner had the forty piece, I believe, in this game. Uh, it was his career high, and he was uh, he was hot. But uh, again, we lost by one point, which was. Uh, I saw a tweet about uh, that it's the first team to start off for their first two games losing by one point since like the 40s or 50s, I believe. And uh, I think that was like the Pistons back when they weren't even in Detroit. So uh, that was a pretty Pacers-like achievement to make. Um, And this was also another heartbreaker uh, game. Uh, This one was in um, overtime, was it? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Again, uh, one of those games where we didn't have the best third quarter where we uh, we got outscored by 10 in the third quarter and out, and then we outscored them by 10 in the fourth quarter. So uh, we did bounce back a little bit in the fourth, but the third quarter is something we really need to work on as a team. Aaron Holiday got the start for the Wizards too, worth noting. Yeah. Tough that Miles Turner had his career high in points at 40, which is wild, first of all. But it's tough to lose that game, too. So we were outscored by one point in overtime. Obviously, we lost by one. And on it, like looking through the box score even right now, it's hard to pin the blame on anybody because it was such a high-scoring game. Maybe defensively, we just weren't ready yet. I mean, there are a lot of new pieces on this team, you know, that we have to work through and new coaching schemes, all that. So you kind of expected some trouble i i never expect the pacers to have a game where it's in the 130s unless you know we beat the thunder by 60 or whatever it was last season that was special next game was the pacers against the miami heat that was also another uh close uh fought until the uh in the end we uh pulled through and went on a big run to close but um tyler heroes hitting some big shots down the stretch there i think he had almost 30 that game um but yeah we uh we uh, didn't have a good third quarter in this game as well, only scoring eight points to their 17. Uh, it, it really was not a good shooting night for both teams. Our field goal percentage was uh, only 39 on the, on the win. So uh, both teams were uh, struggling out there shooting. But in overtime, we did uh, come and outscore them 16-5. to five, So that's what gave us the win there. That was another OT game. I forgot to mention that right after the one we just lost in. So... It was uh, another one of those uh, nail-biter games, but uh, came out to win. Duarte was the MVP of this game on our Instagram, which was exciting. You love to see it. I mean, one of the best rookies this year, and we definitely got a steal in the draft. But he ended with 19 points, and I'm looking at the three points to three-point attempts, like three-pointers made, 
in the game for the starters. So Sabonis was 0 for 3, Duarte 2 for 7, Brogdon 0 for 7, Holiday 1 for 5, and Miles Turner was 0 for 3. This this was a tough one. We saw Jeremy Lamb pulling us through this game too. So this was, I mean, Duarte was a good defensive presence in this game and was scoring when we needed him to. Didn't have great numbers percentage-wise or anything, but our bench unit came in and carried a lot of the load. Let's move on to the next game, which is game four. Yeah, Milwaukee versus Pacers. I came into this one knowing we were going to lose. I don't know how you feel. I did as well. Uh, no one's stopping Giannis. Uh, he almost had a triple-double. He's one, one assist away so uh, from a 30-point triple-double. And Chris Middleton also with almost 30 points with 27. Um, but, yeah, like we couldn't stop role players. Like Grayson Allen had 19 points. Um, this was just a game I knew we were going to lose because we never beat Giannis. We don't have that Giannis stopper. I mean, you could call Tory Craig something that's suppressing Giannis, but even then, I don't think Tory Craig can do much to stop Giannis. Well, it, it has to be Sabonis or Turner who's doing that. And yeah, but Turner can't move that quickly on the perimeter, and Sabonis, we all know about Sabonis' defense. So, Yeah, who, I mean, Sabonis has, what, is he top 10 in contested shots this year? Yeah, he is. Uh, but it, it's not the stat talks about contested shots, but it doesn't talk about how many of those contested shots were in or not either. So, I but mean, it is, it, is a good, it is a good stat for Sabonis, but, uh, I mean, I, I have seen a little bit of improvement in his defense, though, and, and, and for sure his three-point shooting. But Yeah, no doubt. However, this game he was 0 for 2 from 3. Brogdon, I felt like, couldn't hold on to the ball at all this game. I'm looking at the stats, too. He had seven turnovers. Yeah. And you hate to see that against his former team. And really his team who chose uh, Bledsoe over him and kind of gave up on Brogdon too. So kind of wild in hindsight. But we uh, had a tough loss to the Bucks, but it was expected, I think. Yeah. So let's move on to the next game. We're 1-3 and three at this point. So this is the Toronto Raptors. This is the Isaiah Jackson injury game. Oof, I, this was a hard game to watch. I went to my friend's house to watch this game. Lost my 18 points. Raptors had 18 steals. OG Ananobi just absolutely dismantled our team. It was ridiculous. I think every single possession, there's a stretch in like the third quarter, probably, where uh, I think we got the ball ripped from us like five possessions in a row. Um, Van Vliet, 26. We let Van Vliet get a career high of 10 rebounds on us, which is um, more than Miles and more than Simone. more than anyone on the Pacers, actually. But uh, the real... Uh, Scotty Barnes um, showing uh, his rookie of the year case with 18, seven and seven, which is a very good stat line, uh, as well as um, OG and Trent each having five steals, which was uh, it was uh, it was a tough watch. Yeah, going down the the box score for the Pacers, everyone had a turnover except for Isaiah Jackson and Goga, who Isaiah Jackson played. I mean, both of these guys were the only ones who played less than 10 minutes. Goga just doesn't lose the ball, man. I'm telling you, he's a maestro. Ball's on a string. But, yeah, I mean, four, one, two, one, two, three, four, two, two, one. Those are all the turnovers from the top 10 guys, uh, 11 guys in a rotation. And that's insane, man. But OG Ananobi continues to remind us that we should have drafted him instead of TJ Leaf. Yes, we should have. And Gary Trent, underrated defender. But I do agree. Scotty Barnes, this was, a, I mean, one of those games where – 
you look at him and you know that he's the real deal. This whole Raptors team's just long, great defensively. Precious Achua is in there too. He's an undersized big, but does not play like he's undersized. And Fred Van Vliet, who's listed at six one, is I mean, honestly, he's probably five ten. Yeah. And he got ten rebounds, man. It's wild. Four offensive too. So just a tough one. Yeah, pathetic. So the Pacers at this point were one and four. So let's move on. Yeah. Two. The Brooklyn Nets. This was a one. I think this was the Tory Craig game where he had twenty eight. Was it? Yeah. This was. Yes, this it was, was the Tory Craig game. Twenty eight, eleven, um, and eleven rebounds. So we lost this one, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, did you watch this game? I did, and this was my comeback to Instagram too. I made the graphic. It was kind of nice to do that again, but I was definitely rusty. It's weird how not making a, a game recap graphic after six months is just really difficult to do. But yeah, this was the Tory Craig game. I think at this point too, Tory Craig was MVP of this game, and no one had had a repeat MVP up until this point either for the Pacers. So we're not getting the one consistent performer every single game, which you last season, I believe, Debonis Sabonis was the MVP for the first eight games, which was wild. And it, there was no parody. It wasn't exciting making the graphics or anything because it's just a picture of Sabonis or a video of Sabonis after every game. But, yeah, Torrey Craig had 28 off the bench. Looked really good. I was stoked that we got him. And, I mean, definitely one of those, like, afterthoughts, too, as a fan in free agency last season. I mean, there there wasn't a ton of guys that we signed or anything. But I wasn't excited about him necessarily. But James Harden, Durant played really well James Harden had 19 free throw attempts too and I think that was double of what he had had up until that point in the season oh yeah this was the game there was a video going around of Duarte um, reaching for the ball and then James Harden hooked his uh, hooked Duarte's arm brought it up flailed and didn't get the foul call and yeah I was going all over the internet it was like man the refs hate Harden right now this is crazy He's going and looking for a foul. If that's what, if your intention is to drive, if you're driving with the intention of getting a foul, then like you're not going to get the call. Is what we're it, that's what we're learning this season, especially from watching Harden and Trey Young play. So, this was an outlier for Harden. Of course, it happens against the Pacers when he gets his 19 free throws and 16 made, and had 29 points. Durant had 22, and tough loss for the Pacers, no doubt. We were without Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert. Worth noting. And as a result, Brad Wanamaker played 14 minutes, and that can't happen. Yeah, it did a whole lot of nothing. Let's move on to the next game. This was against the Raptors again, and we lost 97 to 94. South, what what are your thoughts? Uh, this was another one that was hard to watch. Uh, I went and watched this again with the same people, and uh, it was another one of those games where we just choked uh, completely. Uh, this time it was, I think, a fourth quarter collapse. Um, Actually, not really. It was pretty fought to the teeth the whole game, but uh, I know Sabonis had a little bit of an exciting three-pointer at the end to bring us within, uh, I think it was like one or two. But uh, And then at the very end, he had another shot. At a, for some reason, we gave Sabonis the ball for another three, and he missed it with a second left. But uh, this was another game where the Raptors just had too much size on us and we we couldn't uh, we couldn't handle. I, Scotty Barnes had uh, twenty one and twelve, um, 
and we oh oh um, a, a real bad uh, like a pretty uh, um, bench warming type player uh, Steve Highcluck, uh, former Laker uh, he torched us uh, I think he dunked on um, Justin Holiday or Chris Duarte I can't remember but he dunked on one of them and he had 16 points uh, yeah it, it was just uh, another one of those nail biter games for sure yeah tough one one of the I always made an argument with my buddies that Goran Dragic was the best player on the Heat last year. Just joking around. I mean, he probably wasn't. I thought he was so underrated, though. And, yeah, and we didn't even see him play in this game or the first game against the Raptors. And they still whooped us. It's Their defense is is amazing right now. They're so long. When we start T.J. McConnell, Duarte, and Levert, who aren't huge guys by any means we're just I mean when we're playing against the Raptors with those three in our starting lineup they're just getting smothered and Sabonis and Turner obviously are going to start if they're both healthy which is a shame but the I mean when you're playing against Precious Achua and Oji Ananobi at the other bigs and you're not getting anything going with Sabonis and Turner then something's wrong you know and maybe maybe it's a sign that the Pacers need to do something about that, or maybe it's just showing how good defensively and how active defensively the Raptors are. And I kind of tend to lean towards the latter. You know, this team is solid defensively. We already talked about this the in the first game that we talked about with them, but I mean, it's anytime we face up against them this year, we're going to face the same problems, you know? So let's move on to the next game, which the Pacers at this point are one and six. So this this was against the Spurs and it was a 131. Yeah, we got the W. It was 131 to 118 against the Spurs. DeJounte Murray started off super hot, 14 points in the first quarter, I believe. Finished the game with 16, so we shut him down real quick. But uh, this was a uh, I believe a Sabonis game where he had uh, 24 and 13 and six assists. Uh, that's what you want from your star player. Uh, closing out the game, uh, being consistent. Uh, we did let them go on a big run in the fourth quarter, but um, that was 35 to 22 in the fourth. But uh, this was the game that we didn't really have a third quarter issue where we outscored them by four. But uh, then we showed that the fourth quarter was another thing that we could have problems with. But uh, yeah, and this was a Brogdon-less game, I believe, as well. Right. So TJ McConnell got the start. Sabonis had the stat line that you want him to have at this point in his career, which is 24 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, like you said. That's what I want him to average, you know, and he's nowhere near that right now, unfortunately, but he had a great game here and looked good against the undermatched Spurs who did not have Doug McDermott playing, unfortunately. Yes, and uh, TJ McConnell had 10-10-3-3, which is pretty underrated stat line there. So let's move on. Next game was against the New York Knicks. Sal, what are your thoughts? Uh, this game I did not watch, but I know that Miles Turner had a stellar night from three, I believe. Yeah, I can talk about this one. Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, Miles Turner was seven for ten. This is a Miles Turner game. The This is one of those games, too, where you just really want to see Sabonis outplay Julius Randle, or I do at least, because I know there's the people who are... Um, actually, probably more people are on Julius Randle's side of the who's better, Julius Randle or Sabonis. Um than people who are on the Sabonis side. And, you know, obviously I'm on the Sabonis side. And 
Julius Randle looked like the better player in this game, unfortunately. So Sabonis actually ended with 10 points and 7 rebounds. Terrible stat line for Sabonis, who only took 8 shots in this game, too. So I it just didn't make sense the whole game. We weren't running plays through him. Or when we were, he was getting smothered, which makes sense. And he's getting that, he's getting that star treatment as far as uh, defensively from other teams. And we saw that from the Knicks, who are really smart defensively. And he's also at this like tweener point in his career where he's getting treated like a star player from other teams, but the refs aren't treating him like a star player at the same time. He doesn't go to the free throw line that often, you know? So he shot three free throw attempts this game, hit two, which is fine. But I mean, you expect that number to be higher. It's almost looking at a Paul George box score again. And when it's a center though, or a power forward, whatever you want to call Sabonis, then something's wrong, you know? So I, I don't know what it's going to take for him to get to that point where he starts getting respected more from the refs in the league as a interior presence that is getting slapped. Because when you watch him go up, he's getting hit every single play. And he's strong, but I also wouldn't call him strong enough to you know finish all of those shot attempts too where he's getting hit. But tough for Sabonis in this one. But, I mean, we still pulled out this victory, which was great. And Julius Randle didn't look amazing or anything. So it wasn't too bad. So yeah, 111 to 98 against the Knicks. Got to be happy about it. So we're three and six at this point. And the next game was against the Trailblazers. Yes, I saw this one. This was another uh, heartbreaker that we had. Um, just uh, a little, we had a good third quarter, but fourth quarter was uh, not the greatest. I got outscored by five there in only a four point loss. So that's why. Um, we had a, a good, a decent Sabonis game, 15, 12, and 4. Uh, actually, I take that back because he did have six turnovers. Um, but uh, McConnell had a good game here with uh, 19 and 7 rebounds, 2 assists. Uh, but I know that I believe McConnell was the one who took a game-winning layup and missed that was open. So that's kind of once once you missed that, we uh, – uh, kind of collapsed there and uh, on the other side of the of the ball uh, Damian Lillard only had four points I believe so we still ended up losing despite Dame having four points uh, but we ended up losing to uh, Robert Covington turned into Steph Curry at the end there um, Norman Powell 25 and CJ McCollum with 27 uh, it's hard to stop a team when they're hot like that from three as well yeah the Pacers were up one point in the third and I put five bucks on them to win. They were still the underdog. And I was pretty, you know, I was pretty confident. I was like, oh, the Pacers have this. Dame's having an off night. And like you said, TJ McConnell missed that pretty open layup at the end of the game. I, I remember in hindsight it being wide open. I can't remember exactly where it was or what it looked like, ex- you know, fully. There's been a ton of games. But it felt wide open. I, I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah. Yeah, typical Pacers loss where you know, just kind of looked rough at the end of the game and put the ball in the hands of someone who you shouldn't probably have the the uh, ball in their hands at the end of the game. So, And that was TJ McConnell at one point. So tough, but he did have 19 points, and you can't be mad about that. Like you said, I agree. I just want to emphasize Robert Covington looked like Steph Curry at the end of the game. Yeah. So annoying, man. I mean, he had a step back three. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yep, step back three, and then he hit another three, and he might have hit another one just to seal the game. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaking. And I also do want to give a shout-out to 
Well, maybe two shout-outs. First of all, Inferni Simons, who I've believed in from day one. I hated that he played really well in this game, but I also love to see him play well. So he had 16 points for the Trailblazers, four for six from three. And then Cody Zeller, hey, shout-out IU. But let's move on. Yeah. Three and seven at this point. And then we're playing the Sacramento Kings, which you expect a win in this setting. They did have the better record. They were five and four coming in. And we did get this win. Uh, shut down Harrison Barnes a little more. Uh, even they had 22 points. Uh, it was on uh, worse shooting. Because this year, Harrison Barnes looks like the, uh, the star of the Kings, you can say. At least uh, at the beginning of the season. One thing I really liked about Miles Turner was his 15 rebounds. Because we know he doesn't rebound like that usually. And another thing that I liked uh, was McConnell at the end of the game making super tough uh, his signature uh, fadeaway in the paint or in the uh, close mid-range. He's making a ton of those over Sean Holmes, who's a good rim protector, and a ton of good defenders. And I was pretty blown away when he was making these huge shots uh, down the stretch. Let's move on to our next segment, which is the top pacers of 2021-2022 from the first 11 games of the season. And we're going to try to make this a weekly segment. This might be a Sal thing going forward too. I don't know. We've kind of had text discussions about this. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But this was something that we used to do, I think, two seasons ago. We, we do weekly rankings for the Pacers, and it was a ton of fun. People loved it, and we quit doing it for whatever reason. I don't know. So we're bringing it back. Hopefully, we'll be a little more consistent this time. Who knows, though, but... Sal, you have your rankings. You said you had 14 guys ranked, correct? Yes. So I have a little more than that. I, t- I tend to get a little wild with these. It's just something that I've always done. And if you've listened before, then you probably have some expectations of guys that I include in this. But if not, then hopefully this is fun. And we'll, I mean, Sal, I don't expect our rankings to be exactly the same at all because there's been a ton of you know, different guys stepping up in different games. And you may have seen something better that you like from a guy consistently than I have. You know, there's a ton of like uh, even ground throughout this roster right now, which we don't always get to see. So I'm excited to talk about this with you. And I'm going to let you go first, actually. So who are your, I mean, do you want to give your top guy? Or do you want to give your top two guys to start? Do we start from one and then we're going down to 14? Let's go one to 14 or more. All right, uh, we could do two at a time then. Uh, so I'll start with my number one in the ranking was uh, Sabonis. Uh, being the Sabonis super fan that I am, uh, I had to give him number one. Uh, he played every single game, which uh, is 11 games, I believe, um, averaging 19 points, 10 rebounds, four assists. And I was pretty surprised with one and a half steals a game. Um, personally, I've seen a ton of massive improvements in his three-point shot. Uh, it just uh, there's been a ton of games where he's just been absolutely hitting it from uh, from uh, deep, and it did c- catch me off guard. Um, but uh, the one thing I did take away as well was uh, we don't really want to take have Sabonis take the final shots uh, down the stretch, at least in the final minutes, because uh, teams seem to smother him, and it's either a turnover or uh, just a, like a fadeaway, something that I don't even know what I can call it, but. Uh, not the best option. That's all I'll say. You know what's wild about this is he's your top player, and you gave you know like one good thing about him and four bad things. <laughs> the Pacers have a bad record, and we don't have a great team right now, at least chemistry wise, potentially, or I don't know what's happening. So when you did say Sabonis, and I have him at one as well, 
when you said that his three-point shooting has looked a lot better this year, percentage-wise, it's at 22% right now. But I do kind of agree with you because there are some games where he'll shoot like, you know, three for five, and then other games where he'll shoot one for eight. And I think it's just balance. I don't know how consistent he can be, how how consistent he can become going forward. But, you know, there's some games where you look at his his stroke and he's more confident shooting too. Yeah, it's the confidence and the shots that he's taking that are definitely the improvement as well. Yeah, and he's our clear best player, honestly. I know there's games that he's looked rough at times this year. There's not a ton of consistency in the starting lineup. Yeah. I would expect if we, and this might be wishful thinking, if we do get to see a consistent starting lineup with this Pacers team, then I would expect, you know, a lot of these guys to become more comfortable with who they are. I think we're one of the five teams in unique lineups, one of the top five teams in most unique lineups this year, too. And... Sabonis is probably struggling you know like a big part of his game is running the offense and controlling the pace and when he's seeing new guys in constantly who are you know learning to cut and move around the court together and it's it's something that you do have to learn to play with each other you know someone like me who's an expert basketball player who definitely knows all this stuff yeah you know he's learning timing and I'm just trying to come up with excuses for him just to you know, continue to let everyone know that he is a great player and he is going to get back on track from a season that isn't even that bad in the first place. So that's first for you, first for me. Who's your second player? Um, so in only six games, we had uh, Malcolm Brogdon, even though I'm not the biggest fan personally, um, but he did average 22.7 assists and seven rebounds. Uh, and he's been honestly great for us. Uh, signed him to a uh, two-year extension, which is four years, I think, uh, not being able to be traded this year. And I think that he's going to be the most consistent, uh, like, weapon in our roster, you know, uh, being able to be clutch, hit big shots, uh, play good defense, because that's something that Brogdon is good at as well. Love it. I actually have a different number two, and that's Miles Turner. And, yes, most of this is because of games played. He's at 11. He had the 40-point game, and... I mean, defensively, he's the anchor, which there's been a ton of games where we've held teams to, you know, under 105 points or whatever in a league that favors offense. And Miles Turner continues to be the anchor there. I have been on the record a million times saying I don't love this fit with Sabonis, so I'm not going to keep talking about it. Well, I probably will. But I have liked what I've seen from him enough this year. And I mean, even the one 40-point game alone, like, I feel like this has to at least nudge him into the top three, and for me, I have him at two. So let's go number three and four. Why don't you just give me your next two, because I would guess our top four are the same. All right, so uh, I have Miles Turner here. Um, This season, Miles Turner's averaged eight and a half rebounds, which is something that I'm very excited about, Uh, and also 15 points and three blocks per game. Uh, which is just a good start for Miles Turner, definitely offensively and uh, on the glass, because we know, especially on the offensive glass, we know that Miles Turner doesn't really crash the boards, but uh, one significant highlight that stood out for me was when he just like absolutely just trucked in there and got the offensive rebound and got a put back, which was pretty uh, exciting to see. Um, Also coming off 40 points, uh, it was pretty exciting, even though we lost, lost, but uh, he did have some big words for himself saying that uh, he uh, it's only the beginning and he'd back it up with some more uh, big games. But uh, following the 40-point game, he only ended up with four points the next game. So, you know, uh, the biggest uh, 
thing for Miles, I think, is uh, his offense has came around a lot better this year, but just maybe being a little more consistent with that. Uh, his defense is awesome. His rebounding has been great, but I just like to see a little more of consistency on the offensive side. Yeah, and that's the big thing for Turner is his rebounding's up and his defense is similar to where it's been in the past, which has been great. And having him top three is kind of wild because last season, or two seasons ago at least, I when we were doing this frequently, I consistently had Jeremy Lamb over him and uh, or, sorry, Justin Holiday over him. It was like he Miles Turner would come in at sixth or seventh every single week, and for him to even be in this conversation for top three on the Pacers right now is huge for him and something that we should all be excited about. Maybe I mean maybe it is just that Karis Levert and Brogdon have missed a ton of time, but uh, so far I mean Turner like like you said he did have the one four point game, but after the forty point game and that really hurts to see. But, I mean, we're at least seeing some glimpses of what he could be. Or not what he could be. What we've hoped that he could be for the past five years now. So, yeah, you have him at three, you said? And I have Brogdon at three. I'm not even going to go into that anymore. So, let's move on to four. Uh, Four, I put Chris Duarte. Uh, Even though I wasn't the fan on draft night, uh, I can say I'm a pretty big fan right now. Uh, he did rank third in the NBA uh, weekly rookie of the uh, rookie of the year ladder. That's updated every week. He's third right now. Um, he's proven most Pacers fans wrong, um, and he's showcased his elite scoring ability, which is only going to get better and more consistent with time. Uh, and his ability to hit tough shots, especially tough threes, uh, is uh, is awesome. Uh, I'd love to see the ball go to Chris at the end of every game. Uh, Chris or Malcolm or Karras, I think, are the most reliable guys to hit shots um, at the end of the at the game in the final minutes. But uh, the one question that I have with uh, Chris's stellar uh, Rookie of the Year campaign that we have going on right now is uh, when TJ Warren comes back. I don't know if Chris probably gets back to the bench or st- starts playing off the bench, but. Uh, we don't really know if TJ Warren is going to be as good as he was because he hasn't played in a year, but maybe Chris uh, really takes over from for uh, TJ and we see a lesser role for Warren. Interesting that you assume Warren's going to play for the Pacers again. Hey, it's three weeks timetable right now, three, four weeks. <laughs> I think at this point, Duarte's shown that he is not a bench player. Yeah. And if he keeps this up, which I don't see any scenario where he won't, then I think there's going to have to be a trade, right? Don't you have to move? I, I This might sound wild, but don't you have to move Levert at that point? Or maybe this is one of those things where Turner has another huge game and it's like, well, time to move Turner and put Warren at the four. I don't know. Brogdon can't get traded, so he'd be the first pick for me to get traded. But, um, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to move. TJ did say he wants to play for the Pacers again because he knows that the fans have been missing him a lot. So I don't expect him to leave when he's a free agent either. Um, but I, I think if someone's going to get traded, I think it's either Sabonis or Turner. And we've seen great stuff from Turner. So, I mean, like, even as the biggest Sabonis fan I, I am, I mean, it could go either way and I wouldn't be too angry about it. So I also have Duarte at four. And I'm well, who who do you have it? Let's say five and six. I'm not even going to talk about Duarte anymore because I think we nailed it. So what do you have at five and six? I have uh, Karis Lohr at five. Uh, 
uh, only played six games, so that's kind of why he's down there. Uh, he hasn't been uh, super efficient uh, like shooting-wise, but uh, he has been good, um, and that's going to improve with time, his efficiency. And he's been a positive for all the games he's played in, uh, even with some limited minutes. But I, I do expect him to potentially be the best player on the Pacers when the end of the year comes. And who do you have at six? Uh, I have our sixth man, TJ McConnell, uh, shooting 51% from the field and 40% from three. Uh, TJ started to pick up the pace with a bit of a rocky start from the first few games. Uh, he's averaging nine, five, and three right now with one steal. And that is exactly what we need off the bench. He's a spark plug. He's a bench leader. And he's proven to be clutch. And he's not afraid to take any tough shots down the stretch. Yeah. So I actually had that flipped. I have McConnell at five and Levert at six. Levert at six even seemed wild to me. I know his numbers are up. He looks like he missed training camp and he's a step slow. And his numbers are showing that his uh, efficiency has been off, like you had talked about. It reminds me a lot of when Paul George came back from his leg injury or when Oladipo came back from his leg injury. They look a step slow. You know it's going to take some time. Levert's injury wasn't as wild by any means. So it will get back on track soon. Hopefully, I mean, we need to see some consistent playing time from him too. But, I mean, he's at 17 points per game right now, but his numbers are down. So I actually, like I said, I have McConnell at five. And one of the main reasons is he's played every game. He's stepped in to the starting lineup five different times out of those 11 games. He's had a fluctuating role and he's performed throughout. Yeah, nine points per game and five assists per game, whatever. I mean, he brings the intensity on defense, and he's someone who you trust with the ball in his hands. And for me, that's why I put him at five. So let's move on. Uh, who are your seven through – let's just say, who, who are your seven and eight? Guys, seven and eight. I uh, have Jeremy Lamb at seven. Even though I'm not the biggest Jeremy Lamb guy, uh, he has been very good for us this year. Uh, he's put up – actually, I looked at the box scores, and he's almost putting up double digits in every single game. Uh, besides against the Kings, he, uh, he had a back soreness the game before, which was against the Blazers, but he didn't have a good game against the Kings, which I'm assuming is because he's a little rusty. Uh, he's shooting 46% from three and he's, uh, finally, unlike last year, he's a reliable shooter for us. And he is also 15 for 15 from the free throw line. Unreal. So I have, oh, sorry. Well, I'll just say, I also have Jeremy Lamb at seven. You're supposed to give me your eighth guy. Who who do you have at eight? My eighth guy is Justin Holiday. Where, uh, I mean, I know what Justin can do because he's capable of being that reliable glue guy uh, who plays good defense and hits threes. Uh, but the thing is with Justin this year is he's either a hit or miss every single game. You're either getting four points on bad shooting, like one for eight from three, or you're going to get 15 points on good shooting. So uh, his defense is still uh, consistent, but the offense really needs some work. That's why he's lower. And uh, like Tory Craig, uh, he has great versatility, and uh, he should be—he uh, should pick it up soon. He's just in a little bit of a slump. The versatility and you know what he brings to the team, and like it's the same with T.J. McConnell, where he's getting thrust into roles that are different every single night. So Justin Holiday and T.J. McConnell have to adapt consistently, and I do have Holiday here at eight. I don't feel good about it. He's 32. I don't know if that has anything, if, if his age has anything to do with his shooting this year, but I feel like for the first time when he shoots, I don't feel like it's going in. Yeah. 
uh, let's see his stats. He's shooting 33.8% from three. So not terrible, but not where you expect him to be either. Cause I, I think he's been over 40 or at least close to it the past two seasons. So yeah, I mean, that kind of emphasizes my feeling of it doesn't ever seem like his shot's going to go in anymore. And I don't know if he's a step slower, if it has to do with, you know, his inconsistent role, whatever. But I feel like we're not seeing exactly who we've seen in the past. And Justin Holiday, he's still my eighth guy on this Pacers roster. And it was tough to put him over who I'm assuming you have at ninth. I have Torrey Craig at ninth, who has had really good games, especially the one against the Nets where he had 28. But just, you know, he is who he is. He's a defensive player who is, in theory, a 3 and D guy. Doesn't get a ton of opportunities shooting from from deep. Well, I guess 2.6 per game, not bad. And shooting 35%, not bad either. But, you know, six points per game and nothing special, I guess, at this point. One thing I did notice with him, though, is uh, when we picked him up for free agency, you didn't expect him to be able to ball handle at all, really. But he has been moving the ball up in transition. Uh and one big thing that getting Torrey Craig was probably for was just to have a big, bulky defender. Uh, he, I think he's the same weight, uh, height as Justin or maybe within a couple inches, but he's like 40 pounds heavier. So uh, he's like a physically demanding defender with like against the matchups that are physically defend- demanding. But uh, he's a good glue guy, and that's all he really needs to do. Yeah, when you play in the East, well, I guess Ben Simmons isn't that important anymore because I don't know where he's going to play. But when you play in the East, you're looking at Giannis and usually Ben Simmons, and you need those guys who can guard those players. I mean, LeBron in the past, like we would throw Thad Young on LeBron, which kind of made sense. And then it was like Lance Stevenson and Boyan Bogdanovich, which doesn't make sense. But you need those 3 and D guys who are big, like a Jay Crowder or Robert Covington. I don't even know if like that's great examples or anything, but... It's just the names that are coming to my head, like that archetype, like the Trevor Ariza kind of original archetype where they're three and D and they guard the six, eight small forward, or I guess in Giannis's case, no one can really guard him. You slow him down, but you need the Tory Craig type of guys who can step in and hustle on defense. I think PJ Tucker recently just said that Durant's going to score his points against him when they play, but it, nothing's going to come easy. And you know, like if we're throwing, I'm like, I'm trying to look at our lineup. Like if we're throwing Levert on like a Ben Simmons type of player, it's going to be a lot easier for Ben Simmons to slash than it would be if maybe Torrey Craig was playing against him. And that might be a bad example too, but because I don't want to take away Levert's defensive effort or anything, but yeah, Craig's that guy, but I still have him at ninth because of his impact offensively isn't, you know, it's not always there, but we have seen some slashing too. And that's, been um something to look forward to potentially so okay who do you have at 10 i have uh a little bit of a surprise for me but i uh put keelan martin there um i uh i am impressed with the minutes that he has been getting and the times that rick has decided to put him in he scores he's confident and um he's able to uh get out there when no one in the second unit the normal second unit is having a good game uh sometimes rick just puts um Keeling in and he uh, starts hitting his shots and he gets us going again, uh, which I'm pretty happy about. 
Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I didn't even like when I get to this point in the rankings, I'll get through like the top eight, whatever. This case is top nine because Tory Craig's an important piece in this rotation. But once I get past that, it's, it's usually based on eye tests in a lot of these cases. And I've not liked Keelan Martin in the past. I'm looking at his percentages right now and it's wild. So he's shooting 56% from three on 2.3 attempts per game. And that's only four games. So don't get me wrong. We haven't seen it over uh, a long stretch or anything, but 53 from the field. And I mean, that consistency alone or efficiency alone is, is insane. So that's, that's a great pick for you at 10. I did not have him. I put O'Shea Brissett there and this is prop. Okay. So yeah, O'Shea Brissett, who's played in seven games. We've wanted to see him in this rotation a little bit more. He is the 10th guy currently though. Maybe, I guess, Brad Wanamaker at times. Yeah, Brad Wanamaker is definitely ahead of him right now in, like, minutes. Which is maybe a little wild. Uh, It doesn't make sense to me too much. O'Shea Brissett's bigger, and it seems like our rotation, it's, you know, Turner and Sabonis starting, and then we're throwing, like, Holiday in at the four, and we'll stagger Sabonis and Turner, and... Like, why aren't you just throwing O'Shea Brissett there in a little bit and maybe rest some legs? I don't know. We're, we're, we're not at practice. We don't see what it's like. Maybe O'Shea Brissett's just not showing all the signs that Nate Bjorkgren and his staff saw last season. I don't know. But I have him at 10th, and this, you know, has a lot to do with what he brings to this team. I'm probably including a little bit too much from last season, what we saw towards the end of the season, because O'Shea Brissett's a fan favorite. People love him, and... I just feel like he's a gritty player who's had to work for everything and he's showing it when he does get his opportunity. So I have him at 10th and then I actually have Keelan Martin at uh, 12th and that's probably a little wild because I did not factor in the percentages when I was looking at this. So I had Goga at 11th and okay, so at least a little, I kind of thought going into this that you would have Goga at 14th. I I love Goga as a player, and I feel like we over and over again see flashes of greatness from him, but more often than not, we're seeing that blanket of terribleness covering up those those greatness sparks. And I mean, I I put him at eleven because the potential there and the one moment that he has per game where you're like, oh, Goga has it, man! Like this is the dude. I feel like we don't see that from Keelan Martin, and I put Keelan Martin at 12 because of that. I don't know. So that's really my main reason. Goga's played three more games, too, or four more games than Martin. That played a part in this, too. I I tend to lean more games played than not, but, I mean, I think I'm wrong just listening to you talk about Martin. I mean, honestly, I didn't even look at Martin's, uh, um, like, ratings, uh, like, percentages, specifically but that was based on my eye test and watching him like he really impressed me in the games that i saw you have better eyes than me <laughs> yeah for uh for goga i just uh, most pacers fans don't really have faith in him anymore and uh i mean when he does play he doesn't really do a lot except for maybe like once like minor thing i mean he did have one game that the one game that i like one of the couple games that i didn't watch i know that he had a game where he kind of brought us back in the groove uh but i mean there's still always that potential there i know there was a while where 
some people like in a, I think it was in his first year where like we were talking about if we could split up to bonus and Goga could be that guy and not seeing that anymore. I wonder what his stats are since the Greg Foster the scuffle. I don't know what to call it. Scuffle altercation. Yeah, altercation. So I wonder I wonder if his stats have or his numbers have dipped. I know his playing time hasn't been great or anything, so it's probably not like a definitive change in stat or whatever. But I mean. I still am seeing those flashes, but I believe in him a little bit more than others. I also think, you know, I hated the TJ Leaf pick so much, even in the moment. And also, like, during the next few seasons, that drafting Goga the next season, I just really wanted to believe in him, you know? And for a Pacers team who has drafted well in the past, but at the same time, I mean, I feel like it's either we strike gold or we just draft a random player and they're obviously bad. And I was hoping that Goga was that gold, and it just it hasn't panned out yet. But, I mean, we're still seeing a little flash. I just don't think we're going to get much of the Goga experiment going forward. However, I still have him at 11th over Keelan Martin, who I have at 12. But who you have Goga at 12, you said? Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Who's, who do you have at 13? I have uh, Brad Wanamaker. Uh I mean, my thing for Brad is that he seems to do a whole lot of nothing when he's playing. Uh, very inconsistent with his playmaking. Um, for the very first Brad game that he played, I don't remember if he played in the preseason, but whatever whatever game it was where he was playing his first game, I was I was like, yeah, this guy's this guy's nice. Like he had five assists or something. But like since then, I mean, he he just kind of slows down and ruins the dynamic in our offense. You know, Lance Stevenson, he was supposed to be that guy, but we took Brad uh, instead. And Which our sources were our sources were confident that it was Lance and Wes Matthews. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Last time we listened to those sources, maybe. We'll probably still post in the future if they tell us we're signing Lance. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually because Brad does Brad Wanamaker doesn't do much of anything like you're talking about, and I see the exact same stuff. There are moments where he will have a nice assist. I, I remember there was like a, a beautiful dime that he had to Sabonis one game and it was a crucial moment. I think the, I, I don't want to say the bad outweighs the good because I don't think there's much bad. I just think it's a lot of nothing like you're saying. So I don't have him at 13. I put Isaiah Jackson at 13 just because I didn't want Brad Wanamaker at 13. Is that crazy? I put Isaiah last because... Um... He's not in our rotation. He got injured. Uh, I think it's okay that he's not in the rotation. I like Isaiah Jackson. He's only 19. He's got plenty of time to play. Uh, He seems uh, excited to be in Indiana. Uh, But the one thing I did notice when in the first few games when he was getting some, some like decent minutes, like, I don't know, like five to 10 minutes or whatever it was, uh, he did get a lot of fouls around the rim and seems like he still needs to adjust to uh, when players come and attack him at the rim. He kind of needs to figure out what the NBA refs are like uh, in terms of what he can and can't get away with. And had a, I mean, just a rough season at Kentucky. We didn't really get to see what he was like. And now he's hurt, so we're not really getting to see what he's like either. What I do want to add, though, and I should have said this too, the 11 minutes that Isaiah Jackson's played in total this season in the two games, I've been more excited watching him play, and I've had more moments where I'm stoked 
watching him play than when Brad Wanamaker in his like 95 or so minutes this season has played. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I even said a second ago that games played is important to me when I'm factoring into my rankings. At this point, it doesn't like once you get, like I said, past 10, then it doesn't really matter. So I just put Isaiah Jackson there because I think, you know, he's been more exciting in the 11 minutes that he's played than Brad Wanamaker during his whole stint. Let's move on. So you're done with your list, correct? So I just have four left. I'm going to start with our two-way players, which are Washington, Dwayne Washington Jr. and Dejan Giroux. I have them interchangeable, 15A, 15B. I don't even know who would be 15B because we're not really getting to see them play. In the past, you know, like last season or two seasons ago, we got to see Nas Mitrelong and Brian Bowen, and clearly Nas was better. And we haven't gotten to that point yet with Washington Jr. or Jarrell, or maybe you have. I, I have, and I can't definitively say one's better. But we will at one point. I just have them even at this at this point. Next, at 17, Sal, I went ahead and put 17A and 17B as me and you. Because I think we bring more to this Pacers team, which is nothing, than my 18th guy in this list, which is Monte Ellis, who's still costing us $2.5 million or whatever it is. And Sal, I just got to say, because in the past it's been me and Jeremy or me and Austin who are 17th. And it's felt good. It's It feels good to be the 17th best Pacer, you know? You know, I, I do more for the team. I I, ta- I I probably get more likes on Instagram than him from P- Pacers players like that are on the roster right now. So, I mean, I feel pretty confident in uh, my productions better than Monte, who was rumored to play for the the, the Mavericks this year or the Warriors. He had a workout. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, him, Lance, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, yeah, they and, and Darren Collison were all like – in that mix, but none of them ended up uh, doing anything. I expected a little bit of discrepancy, or a little bit more at least, and there was a little bit, but not much. And that's you know nice to know that we are seeing this in a similar way, and we're seeing a lot of the bad things that these guys are doing in a similar way, but also the good things too. So, so bonus at one. I I don't know if it's a surprise that that's the case that we both had him at one, but I think this season compared to years past, it's, it's, or at least last season. Cause I think the year before, no, I guess Sabonis was the best player two years ago too. So that was when Oladipo was hurt. So I think this year you could potentially question it, you know, if you wanted, yeah, if you wanted to say Brogdon's been better in the games that he's played, then maybe he could be one. I had Turner at two, but I think Brogdon in the, few games that he's played it's proven that he could be the best player when he comes back fully healthy and we'll see going forward but great list Sal and do you have any thoughts for the Pacers going forward I I know let's not talk about the Nuggets game because it's currently being broadcast as we record but what what are some of your hopes and something that you're looking for for the Pacers going forward well um another uh home country hero in O'Shea uh I mean uh Canadian goat, but uh, he uh, he's a versatile player. I think that Rick should have open spots for him to come in and play. Uh, I believe he's played point guard in the past. Uh, I, I think that he can run 
like confidently play uh, it might be a sh- like one to four I- i'd say one you don't really want him running point guard but if he has to he probably can but um he can guard basically uh one through four he can play maybe like more confidently three to four to five but you know he's very versatile that's my point being and i think that he should get more opportunity than guys like brad and even goga and those guys well i am glad that you love o'Shea so much I don't know if I would ever put him at point guard, but I don't know. What do I know? <laughs> hey, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying. I I wouldn't either, but like he's done it. I think so. Yeah, no doubt. Something that I am hoping to see in these Pacers is I just want to see them chip away at these standings. You know, like we're not going to be that team that's going to go on a 15 game run or anything crazy like, or even a 10 game run probably because we're a slow plotting team in a lot of ways and we're still finding our identity. Maybe we will find our identity and go on those crazy runs. I don't know. But just chip away, like, knock some of these teams out of the way. I'm looking like Celtics. They have a ton of issues right now in their locker room. Maybe we can chip away there. Hornets, I'd say we have more talent top to bottom. I mean, just start moving up. The Cavaliers aren't going to stay at five all season, I'll tell you that. The, The Wizards and Bulls, I expect to dip down even more. I know a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people are high on the Bulls this year. I'm not. And I just I think we just got to keep moving forward, figuring out our rotations. We got a good coach. I think it's going to happen. From a lot of uh, I've heard from a few Hawks fans that uh Nate McMillan's doing the uh the the old the nostalgic uh collapse in the fourth quarter with the Hawks instead of the Pacers this time. That's why they're four and eight. So uh, they're having some issues too. I know Clint Capella's had a bit of a down year right now. But, uh, I mean, we're still in shot of making the playoffs. I don't think the Wizards are going to make the playoffs, like not even the play-in. I think we can end up being better than the Hornets, even though some people are very high on the Hornets. But uh, on paper, we have a very talented, deep roster, even though some people would disagree with me, but I think we do no bias but uh you know um i think that if our players are healthy which is something that we say every year but if they're healthy and they have enough time to build that chemistry and get used to um get used to what's it called like roles that they're playing consistently uh i think that we could be a good playoff team maybe even make it to the second round if we get the chance to play in the first round Pump the brakes a little bit, Sal. <laughs> Let's get healthy first. Yeah, that, that, that's the first thing you got to do. I love it. Hey, well, Sal, let's wrap this thing up. As always, it's a pleasure doing this podcast with you. I'm glad we finally got it working. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've done it. Yeah. But my my uh, I I'm a videographer, as you know, and my wedding season's wrapping up. So we'll see some more consistency going forward. I'm not going to be so tired and uh, busy. But, I mean, as always, Sal, it's a pleasure. I I love how much you know about the Pacers, especially coming from Canada. And you're killing it on Instagram, too. So if you don't already follow us on Instagram at all.pacers or on Twitter at all underscore Pacers, go do that. If you haven't already, too, leave us a a five-star review here on whatever podcast listening platform you're listening on right now, which 
you could be listening on any of the podcast listening platforms because we're already there and we're the most reviewed Pacers podcast in the world already on iTunes, but we'd love some more reviews continuing to help us grow going forward. And um, it helps us land interviews too. If you And if you haven't already listened to some of our interviews, like the definitive Scott Pollard one or AJ Moye, if you're a Hoosiers fan, CJ Watson, Chris Copeland, there's a few more. So go back, listen to those. And um, we're going to post, Sal, I'm just throwing this on you. I know, I know you'll have to make a graphic, but we're going to post some of our rankings too on Instagram when we announce this podcast, which you probably heard about this podcast from the Instagram or some of you have. So you might've seen these rankings already, but we're going to post some of them and let us know if you agree with us, if you disagree with us. Maybe you think Keelan Martin is better than Goga Batadze, and I'm wrong. I don't know. Let us know. We love to talk with you guys on Instagram and on Twitter. But for Sal, I'm Jack. This is the All Pacers Pod. Until next time, peace out. You want me, Joel Embiid? Come get it, cause I'm gonna give it to you. Are you kidding me? Sabonis brought it to him.